Burying a child is supposed to be the number one most stressful life event that a person can experience. And I imagine that the stress of a situation like that, the panic, the pain, the concern, and never-ending worry and hope is just as indescribable, especially when that child is missing for months before they're found. That feeling is something that transcends language barriers and cultures alike. This week, the tale that we tell takes place in the city of Nizhny Novgorod in Russia. I'm your host, Catherine, psychic medium and true crime addict, and this is Murder and Mediumship. Before getting into today's case, I wanted to remind all of you that my signature program, Show Up for Your Self-Worth, begins again on September 21st. This is for the woman who is sick of feeling like she isn't a priority to herself or to others, the woman who wants to feel heard, loved, and important again. If you feel stuck, no matter what you try to change or do differently, then this is for you. The shift begins with learning to live and respect yourself, to establish healthy boundaries, to actually take better care of yourself in a way that makes sense for you. If you're ready to feel whole and to know that you are enough exactly as you are, then click the link in the show notes and set up a free appointment to talk about the program and to see if it's a good fit for you. There are limited spots available to ensure that the group stays smaller and more intimate. I can't wait to start connecting with all of you and walking with you in the journey of self-discovery. Somehow, we go from self-care and self-love to, well, the macabre, the dark, the chilling story that we're covering today. In June of 2002, in Nizhny Novgorod, 10-year-old Olga Shardamova convinced her mom and dad that she was old enough to walk the short one-block walk to her grandmother's apartment without her mom. Olga's parents left for work and their sweet, independent daughter grabbed her favorite green bag and blue umbrella and headed down to the apartment building lobby. Unfortunately, Olga never left the lobby of her building. Her parents' concerns of her safety were likely about who or what could happen to her on the street outside of her safe home, but the cruel fate that awaited this poor, poor girl and her family lurked inside of the lobby. As soon as she got downstairs, A drug addict who was waiting in the lobby saw her and forced her to go back up the stairs to steal her earrings from her. Olga tried to flee from the man, though, and in turn, he hit her over the head with a metal bar. The blow to her head killed her, but it would be five months before her body was found tucked away between pipes in the attic of the building. On October 2nd, 2002, Olga's parents laid her to rest in a cemetery in Nizhny Novgorod. On May 7th, 2003, Her parents had a metal fence erected around her grave and they began to paint it. They returned the very next day on May 8th to continue painting. And that's when they noticed that the wreath that had been laying on top of the grave looked as if it had been moved from where it had been placed. As time went on, they started to find notes left at their daughter's grave. And the notes would always begin with little lady and congratulated her on milestone events that she would have been experiencing in her life had it not been taken from her the year before. The notes wished her well on what would have been her first day of school, 
congratulated her on the last month of school, wished her happy holidays, and were always signed D.A. or Dorby Angel, which translates to Kind Angel. At the time of her burial, her parents didn't have the funds to have a headstone put up at their daughter's gravesite. They would receive threatening notes at the grave saying things like, If you don't erect a great monument like she deserves, we will dig her body out. In June of 2003, her parents had a proper headstone put up. You would think that this would have satisfied whomever was writing these threatening notes to the family, but instead, he took an axe to the gravestone and destroyed it. Olga's parents understandably went to the authorities and law enforcement told them that they simply didn't have the resources to keep watch over the cemetery, but that if they happened to cross paths with whoever had done this, then Olga's parents could do whatever they wanted to him and law enforcement would not object to it. Similar complaints were being made all around the city. The number of graves being desecrated or even completely dug up increased over the years and the Russian interior, the Russian interior ministry eventually opened an investigation into what was going on. Olga's parents were far from the only ones who were being harassed by this mysterious and clearly disturbed individual. So for two years, they chased leads that went nowhere. They were pretty baffled by what was going on at these local cemeteries. That would all change. In January of 2011, a Russian airport was attacked by a suicide bomber, and over 100 died and over 30 were left injured after the attack at Domodedovo Airport in Moscow. Authorities started getting more and more calls, though, now about complaints about Muslim graves being desecrated in the city, and strictly Muslim graves. Their pictures were being painted over, and it was just all around very strange. So when police arrived at a cemetery to follow up on these complaints, they found Anatoly Moskvin and the act of desecrating graves. He was arrested immediately and a group of investigators went to his apartment. What they saw seemed to be straight out of a horror movie. What they found was 29 life-size doll-like figures throughout the apartment. They appeared to be antique dolls at first, some dressed in fine clothing, some dressed like brides, and even one dressed like a life-size teddy bear. As investigators looked around, though, they found books about the mummification process, as well as instructions on making dolls and maps of local cemeteries. These life-size dolls were not dolls at all. They were the dug-up bodies of 29 girls between the ages of 3 and 25. He had 29 mummified bodies of young girls in his home that he somehow shared with his parents who were evidently clueless as to this going on, claiming that they only knew about his doll collection, not that they were mummified bodies. And I'm not sure how this can possibly be true, but I don't know. It's said that they were out of town for a lot of the year. They were coming and going all the time, so maybe they wouldn't have been aware, but I, I feel like this is something you could not have not known about. All of the girls were stuffed with rags and had their hands wrapped in fabric similar to nylon stockings. Their faces were also bound with this fabric and then made up and painted to look like living people again. Those who didn't have any makeup on had the faces of actual dolls fixed to their faces. 
Some had buttons or toy eyes in their eye sockets so that they could watch TV with Anatoly. Most of them had knee-high boots or other binding clothing that would help to hide any decomposition that was still taking place despite his attempts at mummifying them. As they began to move the bodies, some even had music coming from within them. Upon further investigation, the girls were found to have a vast array of objects sewn into their mummified remains. Many had music boxes or toy noisemakers embedded into their rib cages. It would make them feel as if they were responding to him. Hospital tags were found with with some of them, nameplates from their gravestones, and items that were also in their coffins with them. Just an endless amount of oddities to make an already indescribable situation that much more bizarre. Even more damning, a shoe print was found in his living space that matched a print taken from one of the graves that was desecrated. Among these dolls, or girls, was the body of Olga Shardimova. He had her body for nine years. All of the notes, the bent cross, the toys left on her grave, all of it was from Anatoly. He was 45 years old at the time and living with his parents in Nizhny Novgorod in a small flat. While it sounds like he was an underachiever by any standard, he was actually a highly successful individual. Anatoly once worked as a translator for the Soviet army, speaking 13 languages fluently. He had a degree in Celtic studies and taught at a college level. He was published multiple times and even wrote a regular column for a paper called Necrologies, essentially obituaries and reading for those who worked professionally with the deceased. Not only that, but he was a self-proclaimed cemetery expert, especially of those in and around the city. The Russian media came to call him the Lord of the Mummies, while neighbors would have otherwise referred to him as a quiet person whose parents were a nice couple. Even the editor of Necrologies referred to him as quirky, but was still beyond shocked by what Anatoly was actually up to. Over the span of 20 years, he desecrated and dug up 150 graves and visited 752 cemeteries. At each of these cemeteries, he took detailed notes about each one and learned the histories about those who were buried there. His drive to visit each of these cemeteries was so great that he at least claims to have walked upwards of 20 miles just to get to some of them. He would sleep on hay bales and drink rainwater from puddles on his track. Though I have not watched it, Anatoly had actually created a docuseries about his research of the cemeteries and called it What the Dead Said. What the public didn't know, though, is that Anatoly actually believed that these girls were asking him to dig them up and return them to the surface of the earth. He would peruse obituaries looking for younger girls, and if they, quote, spoke to him through the newspaper, then he would go to their grave and sleep there. As he slept, he believed that they spoke to him and told him again of their wishes to be dug up. Those were those he selected to bring back to the warmth of his home, where he would celebrate their birthdays with them and talk to them as if they were still living. According to the authorities, there was nothing sexually deviant about his crimes. Some even said that he was disgusted by the concept of sex. According to some sources, Anatoly had been sexually assaulted as a child, and his fixation with the dead, while he recalls always having been fascinated by it, 
was actually caused by one particular experience that really sparked his obsession. When Anatoly was 13 years old, he was walking home from school and he passed a group of men dressed in black suits. They stopped him and brought him to the funeral of 11-year-old Natasha Petrova. They forced Anatoly to kiss her corpse, which he did, but then, of his own volition, he then kissed her multiple times. Afterwards, the girl's mother put a ring on her daughter's finger and on Anatoly's and declared them married. In an interview, he said, An adult pushed my face down to the waxy forehead of a girl in an embroidered cap and there was nothing I could do but kiss her. There's question as to whether or not this truly happened, as Anatoly is clearly not mentally well. It did, however, mark the beginning of his wanderings through cemeteries in his teenage years. His fascination with Celtic history and his overall fixation with death and magic. Outside of his, quote, marriage to Natasha, Anatoly had spent most of his life single. He tried to adopt a Russian child, but wasn't approved as he was a single man and didn't meet the income standard for adoption either. And I think we can say quite comfortably, though, that's probably a really good thing that Anatoly wasn't granted adoption. He told authorities that he believed one day that science would be able to bring his girls back even the ones he wasn't particularly fond of, the ones he kept in the garage rather than in his home. Though diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and declared unfit to go to a regular prison, he confessed to 44 counts of abusing graves and dead bodies and told the parents in court, You abandoned your girls. I brought them home and warmed them up. Anatoly was sent to a psychiatric ward to serve his time and receive treatment for his mental condition. In 2018, the psychiatrist caring for him believed that he would do well at that point with in-home care rather than remaining in the hospital. They believed he could do his best, he could do best to live with a friend or his elderly mother so that he could help care for her. The parents of the victims, who, let's face it, are also victims themselves, were outraged. The judge who was allowing him to leave the psych center quickly reversed his decision and determined that Anatoly would remain under supervised care for the foreseeable future. Honestly, it boggles my mind that they would even try to release him as he told the authorities that they may as well bury the girls in shallow graves because he'd be back to dig them up as soon as he was out. In fact, while he seemed to do rather well on his medication, as soon as the girls were brought into conversation, he quickly became obsessive over them again. I don't see how he could re-enter society in a safe way, really ever, but that's just my opinion. Anatoly is still in the psychiatric facility, and to this day, he refuses to apologize to the families, stating that they buried their daughters and he believed that that is where their rights over their girls ended. On October 5th, 2012, when authorities dug up Olga's grave where she should have been, he found a hole in her coffin where she had been pulled out in May of 2002 when her parents started receiving the notes and when the wreath had been disturbed from its original position on Olga's grave. I imagine this is a scene that they regularly encountered as these girls were laid to rest for a second time. As far as I'm concerned, I don't believe that he will ever be released. However, if he is somebody better be on him all the time because I think he would absolutely be digging girls up as soon as he possibly could. And uh, something else that 
came up that I thought was really interesting about him was that he's actually married now. And I can only imagine who found him in some sort of prison database and became just fixated with him because how disturbing. Anyway, Anatoly Moskin is in a psychiatric center for what appears to be very likely the rest of his life. And as far as this episode of Murder and Mediumship goes, you can expect more creepy content to be filling the airwaves as I'm taking a small step into branching out on the content that this podcast is going to be doing. As once in a while, I just need a break from a murder story and to dive into something a little bit more creepy instead. If you're here for the Patreon experience, then on Monday, the 29th of August, yes, that is the day this episode releases. So if you don't listen early, you'll miss it. But we will be doing an episode, an exclusive Patreon episode about H.H. Holmes. Don't forget to be a part of these exclusive interviews. You do have to be a Patreon at the $23 level tier called Interrogation. And you will be able to ask questions at the end of each live episode as we connect to the murderer or whomever it is that we are connected to at the time. Thank you all for tuning in to Murder and Mediumship. And we'll be back next week with another episode.